0: Good morning, (laughs) welcome all, and uh, you probably are saying, who are you? Well, that's understandable. Um, My name is Glenn Carver, and I am the director of operations for Wings of Shelter. Uh, We operate safe houses uh, in southwest Florida for minor females who have been rescued out of human sex trafficking, Um, and I'm here this morning for... A couple of reasons. Uh, obviously, Pastor Gene is not here today as the family's on vacation. So he asked me to, to speak and uh, to both um, bring the word to you but also to share a little bit about Wings of Shelter because you folks have been supporters of us for a long time. And I first and foremost want to just thank you for that. Um, C3 has, has been a part of, of what we do at Wings of Shelter and uh, without Without that, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. Uh, we are truly grateful for the body of Christ that uh, has wrapped around us through the years uh, and helped us be able to uh, make a difference in the lives of some young girls who have been through some, some tremendous and horrendous things that most of us um, don't even want to hear about and, uh, you know, uh, have a hard time stomaching when we do. So... I do want to share a little bit with you uh, about Wings of Shelter today. I'm really going to cover kind of three areas. I'm going to talk a little bit about um, human trafficking, which is going to be the hard part and hearing a little bit about that and, and, and kind of what it is and, and um, just the significance and severity of it even, even here in the United States because that's one of the things that most people don't realize. Uh, and then I want to share with you a little bit uh, about Wings of Shelter itself and just some of the work that we're doing. Uh, and then I also want to bring uh, the message to you. So I'm going to try to do that all in the time frame I have. You know, when I was a kid, people used to wear watches, and I remember a pastor saying, you know what it means when a when a preacher puts his watch out on, on the podium? Absolutely nothing. So um, just so you know that. Uh, but I... I don't have a watch, so I have to put my phone out so I can keep track of time that way, and I'll do my best to, to do that uh, as we go forward. But as I said, I, I really want to just thank you because you really have been a part of what we do at Wings of Shelter, and, uh, and it's, it's significant when you, uh, when you understand who we are as an organization. You know, we have kids that come in, we're licensed through the Department of Children and Families within the state of Florida, we're also vetted with the FBI and with Homeland Security as a witness protection um, house. Uh, so sometimes we get girls directly from the FBI or Homeland Security. In that case, uh, most of our kids come through placement agencies that are that are um, that are connected to the Department of Children and Families. So because of that, we get a certain rate for each kid that comes. But that really only covers about half of our costs as an organization. So the other half of our costs comes from churches, comes from individuals, comes from sometimes foundations and grants that we might get. Uh, So really, truly, without you, we wouldn't be able to do the work that we do. And I just I I really want to stress that and thank you for that. So I'm going to dive right into some of the harder part of, uh, of what I'm going to share this morning. I have this stool up here because um, the Bible tells us Jesus used to sit a lot when he taught. So I figure if it's good enough for him, then it's good enough for me. Um, so uh, I like to kind of sit, um, I'll get up and down, but I like to sit a little bit as I'm doing this. So so let me see if I can get these uh, slides to work, it looks like it did, so that's good. So. Um, When it comes to uh, human trafficking, particularly when it comes to child sex trafficking, what exactly is human trafficking and um, child trafficking? By definition, human trafficking is the recruitment, transportation, transfer, harboring, or receipt of persons by the threat or use of kidnapping, force, fraud, deception, or coercion. Or by the giving or receiving of unlawful payments or benefits to achieve the consent uh, of a person having control over another person and for the purpose of sexual exploitation or forced labor." Now the thing that I want to point out about this definition is is a couple things. One, this definition actually refers to adult trafficking. Uh, When it comes to children, the next one kind of, it, it, it it's a little bit different with children. Children sex trafficking refers to the recruitment, harboring, transfer, provision, obtaining, um, patronizing, or a solicitation of a minor for the purpose of a commercial sexual act. So um, the main difference is that when it comes to adult trafficking, the three words that are really kind of significant there are force, fraud, coercion, are involved in adult Trafficking. When you come to child trafficking, that though, that requirement is not there. Anything that is intended to harm that child or, or um, bring about commercial um, trade of some type, it's considered trafficking. So the which is good because um, because it's happening at a younger and younger ages, uh, and unfortunately, um, it's uh, it's it's difficult to prosecute some of this, um, but that's, that gets into more detail than I'm going to get into this morning. Unfortunately, slavery is very much alive and well in our world today and even in the United States. And that's the part that most people don't really understand. I want you to take a look at this, help me do some math here, five times five times five equals 6,500, right? (laughs) People are going, what? (laughs) Wait a second. I want you to look at this um, mathematical equation just slightly differently. I want you to imagine a young child who is being raped five times a day, five days a week, for five years. They will have been raped 6,500 times. That's the sad reality of what's happening with human sex trafficking around the world and in the United States. And the, the, the even worse reality of that is for many of these girls and women, it's more like 10 to 30 times a night because they're not being bought and sold to just one person. They're being bought and sold to multiple people at a time. It's why it's becoming the fastest growing, growing crime in the world because um, drug cartels, Organized crime has come to discover that they can make more money off of trafficking than they can off of drugs If I if I choose, you know, if I'm a trafficker and I sell Ed heroin um, Ed's not buying heroin, but you know if I I sell Ed heroin I I I do that once today and then tomorrow I got to get more to sell him, right? But when I'm a sex trafficker and I'm selling a person, I can sell that person over and over and over again. And then I can turn around and sell that same person to somebody else over and over and over again. And organized crime is realizing, hey, there's big money here. Um, Drug cartels are saying there's big money here. And it's very, very difficult to prosecute and catch. Because what happens? when um and and tony could probably speak to this when they bust into a hotel room when they think there is something going on in this trafficking who are they finding there they're finding the person that bought you know someone else and they're finding the victim where's the trafficker nowhere to be seen can't be connected to it They just move on to somebody else. And many times, some of these traffickers are so emboldened, they actually show up at the police station and bail the person out so they can take them because they consider them their property. So we are talking about something very, very real. So just to give you a few um, statistics, stats about this, 27 million uh, worldwide men, women, children are subject to human trafficking. That's both sex trafficking and labor trafficking. Um, And and then it talks about, you know, uh, how many are coming into the United States on a yearly basis um, and being sold here, many of them labor trafficking, but also sex trafficking, very much the case. But I want to jump over to the United States side because here's the thing that most people in the United States don't understand, and it's how Wings of Shelter got its start. Um, Wings of Shelter was started by Lowell and Sally Senets. They're still our, still our CEOs and, and co-founders. Um, they started Wings of Shelter in their retirement. They had uh, been on the mission field for 30 years, came back to the United States, to southwest Florida, and thought we're going to retire and do like other people do, and um, saw a, a Dateline special actually about Uh, how human trafficking particularly uh, child sex trafficking was happening in the united states and god spoke to sally's heart they began to pray and god just opened the doors and that was about 14 years ago Um, and they're still very much doing it in their late 70s they're still very involved um, with with the leading the organization and running the organization so that's how it got started but here's the thing that most people don't know just like sally didn't know they had been years on the mission field. They had actually even started a home in Romania for um, um, mostly boys that were turning 18 who were orphans who were then being cast out into the street who were gonna end up being trafficked because they had no skills, no uh, way of really being able to support themselves and were, were um, very vulnerable to being trafficked. So they started a home to care for 18 to 24 year olds and help give them skills uh, and, and find them jobs and, and help them get started on their adult life so they didn't have to go that route. So they came to the United States they knew a lot about trafficking just because of those experiences but they thought it was a problem that was outside of the United States and around the world like most people do. But the reality is when we start looking at these numbers Over 100,000 to up to 300,000 domestic girls between 11 and 17 each year are at risk for trafficking. Anywhere from 22 to 2,300 children go missing on a daily basis in the United States based on police filings. Florida is in the top three in the country for sex trafficking. And the I-4 corridor between Daytona and Tampa ranks one or two. On a regular basis, which is kind of ironic when you think that what's right in the middle of all of that, Disneyland. You know, we we have the complete extremes there um, that's represented in that. And so here's what people don't know: 80% of sex trafficking that happens in the United States is homegrown. People that were born and raised here. And it's happening not just in The like you see in the movies where somebody's hiding in the bushes and driving up or driving up in a van and grabbing somebody and taking them away. Some of that happens, yes, but most of it's happening right in people's backyards, right under people's noses. It's happening in schools where kids are going to school on a daily basis, going home, sneaking out at night because they think they've got a boyfriend who happens to be in his 20s while they're 13, who's then. Coercing them and getting them to engage in in sexual activity with The friend because he's just a trafficker or he's just the recruiter who's handing her over to the trafficker Once he has her locked in and they're scaring the you know Making these girls think they're going to kill them or kill their family or tell the school and on and on it goes Just a few years ago Sally was doing a training at a a local um, in the area for a group, I don't know if it was at a church, I think it was at a church for a middle school group that was about 200 kids. And uh, the next day, an 11-year-old boy called Sally up and said, I think one of the girls in my middle school is being trafficked. And she said, well, why do you think that? And he started going down through the list of signs that they had been trained on and taught um, the day before. And Sally said, I think you're right. So she got a hold of the authorities. The authorities went in and investigated. They went into that middle school here locally, and they rescued five 13-year-old girls that were being trafficked on the weekends. And their parents had no idea. The school had no idea. But an 11-year-old boy noticed something, and he spoke up. It made a difference. So um, a difference can be made. How do people say, well, how, why don't people just get out of that? Why don't they just run away? Well, um, traffickers are very skilled at what they do. I hate to say it. It would be nice if they put their attention to something more useful, but they are very, very skilled at, again, if we go back to, you remember those words of coercion, force, fraud. Even though that's not required in in trafficking to prosecute for children, they still use the same tactics. So many times it comes in the form of sending in somebody who's the recruiter, who's this good-looking college kid who's wanting to earn some money, and the trafficker sends, it, sends him in, go to the mall. You spot how, one of the ways they do it. They spot three girls that are together uh, that are maybe 13, and they, they look for the one who's most vulnerable. They look for the one in the three who maybe looks like she's, the follower, trying to fit in. And they, and they introduce themselves and talk about how pretty she is and how wonderful she is, and they would like to get to know her. And of course, she's taken by this 20 year old, one year old who shows interest. And then once they get in, they begin to separate and divide. And, oh, your friends don't care about you, and look how they treat you, and I'll take care of you, and your parents don't care about you, I do. And this person thinks, this young girl thinks she's forming a relationship with this young man until finally he can pull her away, get her separated enough, and then from there he can begin to move in a whole different direction and bring in the threats and bring in all the other things that are going to keep her locked in. And they become these psychological chains that... um, these girls, boys as well, girls are a larger percentage, but it's, it's happening with boys as well. Um, and then for many many that you see that are, are trafficked that are into adulthood, it's because they were, they, they were brought up in that through their teen years. And they get into adulthood and they almost don't know anything else but that. And they don't know how to break away from the psychological impact that it's had upon their lives. Our founder uh, Lowell uh, likes to call these invisible chains because you can't you can't see them. We discover them as we go through the process of rehabilitation with the girls that we work with. You discover just how powerful some of those chains are, and how how difficult it is for them moving forward. So I'm going to move very right long here, but um, there's some. I have a table uh, upstairs. When you have your meal after, I have a table set up. One of the things I have for you there, I'm not going to go through it um, right now for the sake of time, but I have for you just a little uh, check sheet. It's not an all-inclusive check sheet, but it's a great way to kind of get some idea of things that you can look for. Because, again, what you may not realize is that places even like uh, uh, Coconut uh, Point Mall is a hot spot for for traffickers trying to draw in and 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 snatch uh get girls drawn into to what they're doing so there's ways and there's things that you can look for again it's not all inclusive but if you at least have some idea i did uh i i did this training uh, back a few months ago at another church down here in naples and uh afterwards had two ladies who came up to me and said you know I think our neighbors are trafficking out of their house and I said well why do you think that and they told me a couple things I said they said what do we do we don't know what to do I said you call the authorities so the one thing what we what we always train people is don't try to intervene <laughs> because you don't know what you're stepping into but there's, there's numbers you can call. You can call one, you can call 911. But there's also a, a national um, hotline that you can call. And it's an easy number to remember because it's, uh, it's simply 1-888-3737-888. So 888-3737-888. Makes it easier to remember that way. Um, and if you call that number, they will investigate. You can do it anonymously, which is nice. So, if you have a situation like these ladies did where it was the neighbors and they weren't really sure and they didn't want to create, a, you know, put themselves at risk for something, they can call that number anonymously and they will investigate that. So, wings of shelter. Um, our primary focus with the girls that we have. Uh, the girls that we bring into our program are between the ages of 11 and 17. Um, and we've even had uh, some occasions we've been asked to take girls as young as 10. Um, the girls that, that come to our program have been confirmed that they are HT victims. Uh, in almost every case, they are from here. We've had a couple that have been brought in. Uh, from other countries, and then were discovered that they were being trafficked after the fact. But most every girl we have is, um, you know, from the United States. Majority of the girls we have are from Florida, uh, but not necessarily from the immediate area. We found we, when, when Lowell and Sally first started, the first three girls they took were actually from uh, Lee and Collier County, and we've, we've discovered that it's harder to do the rehabilitation work that we need to if they're from the area because they have too many connections. Uh, so it's too easy, and, and one of the things we have about our program that makes us a little bit different than other group homes and other programs is if a girl runs from our program, she doesn't get to come back. So it actually, you would think that sounds maybe mean, but these girls are so used to running all the time. That anytime anything feels they 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 have been in group home after group home after group home. Sometimes they've been in the same group home, you know, 20 times, and they've run 20 times, and they bring them back, and then they run, and they bring them back, and then they run, and so we discovered that to really do the work of rehabilitation, we need to have a certain level of buy-in from the girl that they want to be in our program, and they and we tell them right up front if you if you want to leave our program that's fine we'll help you you don't have to be here you know let us know we'll work with your case manager and we'll find a better placement for you but don't run it's too dangerous on the streets and if you run we're going to call the police they're going to pick you up they're going to take you somewhere else because we can't have you be here and do that it makes it too dangerous for you too dangerous for us as safe houses because now we're running the risk of people knowing where we are that kind of thing we don't tell people Where our homes are, I can tell you that they are in the area, but if I tell you anything more than that, then I'd have to kill you. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, But but we we don't tell people unless they've been fully vetted with us uh, to work in the safe house. We don't tell them exactly where our safe houses are. God's been good to us. One of the things that we have done in this past year, actually the past year and a half, uh, through COVID is we started a capital campaign, which I know makes no sense, to purchase our own safe house. And the reason for that is one of the safe houses we've been in for quite some time. Uh, and we've been fortunate, uh, our landlords are like us and and it's been a, a great fit for us. Um, the the other one we've had to move three times in three years because we've only ever leased our, our safe houses. And you know, with the way the market's going, landlords wanna sell, they wanna do something else and then it costs us anywhere from seven to $10,000 to, to move everything and start over in a different house. So we started a camp- capital campaign, and as of this past week, we actually purchased a safe house. It's still not closed on, but we were able to raise enough money to make that purchase, and um, we have a closing date for the end of February. So barring just our inspections and all that, looks like we finally got, got that rolling. So that's really exciting. Exciting for us uh, to be able to kind of make that step forward in that way. But our focus is rehabilitation. So we don't just house girls. We want to see them be able to really move forward in their lives. And with that, there's a couple things. We're a faith-based Christian organization. The only thing we require with that with our girls is that they go to church once a week uh, and attend church. But we don't try to force Faith upon them, but we hire we hire staff that are strongly rooted in their faith. Particularly our primary caregivers, our primary caregivers are always a couple, and they work from Sunday night to Thursday night, uh, and stay right there with the girl and try to create a home environment. Uh, our girls are homeschooled, but we have them leave the house and go to. A, a, we have a couple churches that have provided rooms for us to be able to do our schooling at. Uh, there so that it feels like they have a classroom and they do homeschooling But in addition to that we hire a teacher tutor to work in that room with the girls that are in that room So that when they need a little extra one-on-one help they can most of the girls come to us very behind educationally uh, Because they've missed large chunks of school at times for many of them um, Some of them are right on track, but most of them are be- well behind so depending on, on the girl's age and, and where she's at academically um, most of them, if they're you know, 12, 13, 14, they'll do Florida virtual homeschool and we'll help them that way. If they're a little older, we actually set them up with a GED and help them work towards getting their GED and then once they have that, they can begin to work a part-time job and begin to learn some life skills because when they hit 18, um, the state no longer you know, pays, pays for them to be in our program um, and so they, they have to be able to move on. However, we had one girl who came to us a few years ago who was 17 and a half when she came, came through the FBI, an absolutely horrific, horrific situation that I won't even get into the details on, but involved not just trafficking. It was a gang-related thing, so it didn't involve just trafficking, but actually ultimately involved uh, some murder and some things that went on that she witnessed. And um, so she came to us, um, you know, very much in need of, of long-term rehabilitation. And we only had about six months. So uh, we decided she was so uh, desiring to move forward in her life that Lowell and Sally uh, decided to let her stay beyond her 18th birthday. And so she stayed with us for another two years, ended up getting her GED, starting college, going to college full-time, started a job, was working that full-time. And if you, with the state, if you're part of the DCF system and you turn 18, if you're willing to go to college, they will actually pay for your college and give you a stipend to live on. So we uh, didn't, we, we charged her like $300 rent, but we put it all aside and saved it for her. And in addition to that, she was working, so she was saving money, and she finally, I was able to help her uh, find her own place just in November. It was one of the coolest things I've done since I've been with Wings, uh, to be able to find a a, a neat little, just a small little bungalow, but one that she could afford, uh, and help her uh, move into that. And she left us in November into her own place, still working full-time job, still going to school with $20,000 in the bank. Um, her biggest fear in life was that she was going to end up homeless, and so she just had a, was on a mission to, to, to save and take care of herself, and she's doing great. Her and I get together about once a month and have lunch together and just kind of talk and see how she's doing, and she just is the, the sweetest sweetest thing in the world, and we just uh, just love the progress that she's making in her life. So I want to take just a couple minutes that I have left because I know I'm I'm getting close here, and I do want to dive into um, a, a scriptural thought, just some thoughts for you. Um, and just so you know, my my style of uh, teaching and preaching is is really more application based. That's just how I've always been. I grew up in the church, was saved when I was six years old, and and was a pastor for a number of years. And it's always been about how do we take God's word and really apply it. You know, for me. So I, I, I want to share with you uh, along that line this morning. So I'm going to read some verses that are very familiar to you from, from Matthew 5, uh, verses 1 to 12. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and after he sat down, there you go, sorry, um, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those... Who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in this same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before them. So what I want to really focus on this morning is just one of those verses. Um, um, If you're interested in more, (laughs) a little plug here. I actually wrote a book on, on... on these verses um, called eight transformational attitudes and I've got it up on the table if anybody wants to get one of those um, but I want to just focus on the first one poor and poor, uh, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit now what is it to be poor in spirit poor in spirit is kind of like humility on steroids Is kind of how I I envision it so I I in in my book and in, as we when we talk about this we often talk about it from the standpoint of just humility, because that's kind of what we could recognize as a word. But it's really going, you know, for us who who know Christ and for those who don't are um, in, in are seeking to understand what that is, being poor in spirit is really being spiritually bankrupt. It's coming to that place in our life where we realize that apart from God, we can do nothing that has any any real value, long-lasting value and satisfaction. But at the same time, because of God, we do have value. And that's the part that sometimes we kind of don't always get, especially when we look at other people. And so being poor in spirit is really about a couple things. One, it's about how I get to that place Where I finally recognize the need for God in my life and and seek, you know, ask Christ to be my Savior because I recognize I can't do this myself. I can't do this by myself on my own. There's no way I can. And we finally fall on our face before God and say, please, help me. That's being poor in spirit, being totally spiritually bankrupt. But that place ought to also take us to a place practically in our lives of humility in which we recognize that all people are spiritually bankrupt apart from God. And what do people need the most? (laughs) They need to come to that place of being able to see that. And how are they going to get there? They're not going to get there because I berate them, belittle them, and tell them they're no good. They're going to get there because I value them. And I, I show them who they are based on how God created them to be, but who they can be in Christ. So the best definition I've ever heard of humility is a simple definition, and it's not all-encompassing, but I, I put it up here. Humility is to recognize my value and others' value while looking up. I want you to think about that for a minute. Because in order for me, when I become spiritually bankrupt, part of the process is realizing that God created me uniquely As David said, I was fearfully and wonderfully made. And I have value and I have worth. And I don't know about you, but I've been in the church a long time and I've seen a lot of Christians who don't see their value. They don't even know they have value. Even though they've been in the church for years. And I'm here to tell you that because God created you, he created you in his image, you have value just in that alone. But even more than that, you have so much value that God the Father sent his only son and his only son was willing to go and he came and became part of his creation and laid down his life for you, for me, because of your worth and your value to God. And if you can't see your value, you'll never see the value in somebody else. You never will. You've got to see who you are. And if you're a Christian, who you are in Christ. Because one of the things that's always drove me a little bit crazy growing up in the, in the church and being in Bible school and Christian school and all of those things, is how many times in my life I've heard a preacher say, ah, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, you're not. If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you were a sinner. Now you're a saint. You were lost. Now you're found. You were separated from God. Now you're his child. And yeah, you may still wrestle with sin. I know I do, because I still live in the flesh that I battle with. I still live in a world that's bombarded by it, and I still have an enemy who's attacking all the time. But I'm a child of God. I'm a saint who's been changed and transformed and is continuing to be transformed by the power of God and the Holy Spirit in your life. That's real value. And you need to not only see your own, you need to then see others. But you do it all from this position. Thank you. Thank you. Hallelujah, because that's the only thing that brings my value to life. That's the only thing that brings the value of others to the surface. So I want to help you just understand real quick, real value. Real value is first, richness. You see, we're all rich in one way or another. There's a richness that's not in wealth, not in possession, but rests in who I am and whose I am. I was created by God with purpose and value and looking up reveals just how rich I am and how rich others are and even how much richer we can be in Christ. Secondly, is that humility, rec- uh, uh, real value is seen and having enthusiasm. You know, life is full of opportunity. It really is. It's full of opportunities to influence, to embrace others, to make a difference in other people's lives. And we have to do that with enthusiasm, with the idea that we can enhance the value of somebody else. The thing that I love most about Wings of Shelter is that we take these young girls who, for most of them, are lost and have known a life that I can't even fathom, even when I hear their stories, and we teach them how valuable they are. We tell them how valuable they are. On more than one occasion, we've had a little girl come in and say, she'll say to Sally, I'm just a prostitute. And Sally looks at that little girl and says, no, sweetie, you're not a prostitute. You've been prostituted, but you're not a prostitute. It's not who you are. It's not who you are. We want you to live something different because we know your value. And it doesn't take long for these girls to start living a different value system when they embrace it. When you really, truly give people love and worth and value, they will rise to that. Thirdly, awareness. Real humility is about having awareness. Being aware of your own strengths, your own weaknesses, your blessings, your opportunities, the opportunities to grow, uh, understanding your feelings, your thoughts. All of these things sound simple. But doing all of those things and being grateful on a daily basis will make a difference in your life, and it will make a difference in how you impact the lives of others around you. I guarantee you. Because I've seen it. I've experienced it. And then fourthly, real value is about love. You can't do anything unless you genuinely love love. And the only reason we can love is because God first loved us. He demonstrated to us what love is. Love is sacrifice. Love is service. Love is putting myself aside for the benefit of somebody else. It's being willing to let God move and work through me so that I can make a difference in somebody else's life. And many times... We don't always see the results. Love is not about me accomplishing something. Love is not about me producing results. Love is about me being used by God, and it's up to God to produce whatever results he produces. Not every girl that comes through our program makes it. Not every girl that comes into our program stays. Some of them run. Some of them can't break free from the chains that they've been bonded with. It's what they know, and, and, and it's easy to be critical of that, but think about how many times in your life you've chosen the ease of what you know, the comfort of what you know over what was better for you. <laughs> you knew something else was better for you, but it was harder. <laughs> it was more difficult. It was easier to stay in the comfort, even though you knew it wasn't the best. We can all make that mistake and sometimes do. And so it's not about being critical or judgmental of that. It's about understanding that when I bring real value, when I help people see their richness, when I do that with genuine enthusiasm and care, when I do that with an awareness of both myself and them, and I bring real love, the kind of love that God gives me that I don't deserve, into their lives... It can make a difference. And that's what Wings of Shelter, more than anything, desires to do. I'm going to close with one quick story um, to just um, kind of emphasize that. A couple months ago, best experience I've had since the time I've been at Wings. I've been with Wings for just about a year now. And uh, the most amazing experience I've had so far, I've had a number of them. But we had brought a new girl into our program. We had another girl who had been with us for several months and uh, um, that the one that had been with us for several months is an amazing story i i mean her her first her first month in um, her trafficker um, was being he had been prosecuted and had done a plea bargain because he was being prosecuted both federally and state. And so he did a plea bargain and we got to watch online his his, um, going before the judge for sentencing. And this little girl was able to write a victim, uh, a statement that the arresting officer who She had formed a relationship with through the process was able to actually read for her in court and we were able to watch it and uh, And this little girl in her statement to this trafficker who was in his 30s she was 15 um, Said you have changed my life forever But for me, it's time to, for me to forgive and move forward. I don't even know that I could say that that easy. And we have watched this girl grow and transform. Well, a few months ago, we had a new girl come in. And, but this, this girl was going through, in her rehabilitation process, some tough things. You know we have them go we have them see a therapist regularly as well. It's one of the things they do when she was dealing with some heart issues and facing some stuff and two girls end up one night getting into a fight. doesn't happen very often in our program because we usually don't take girls that have kind of a violent history, especially toward other peers, but they're teenage girls, so you know stuff happens <laughs> and and uh, and they and they're kind of like sisters, you know so They ended up, needless to say, they were both dealing with stuff. One was new, one was dealing with stuff, and they just got in a disagreement, and it turned into a fight, which, you know, in and of itself isn't that bad, except for the fight happened out in the driveway instead of inside the house. So the caregiver called me in a panic, you know, trying to get them separated, couldn't get them separated. What do I do? I said, call the police. So she called the police, called 911, and I headed over, my wife and I headed over to to, try to get there. We get there, there's two cop cars, there's two ambulances, there's a fire truck. I'm like, what is going on here? <laughs> um, <laughs> there's neighbors are out in the street and they're all yelling and hollering, what's this all about? What, what do you got going on here? Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I mean, again, we, we are a safe house, so we protect that information very closely. But they were wanting to get involved in it and it just, it was a, it was a crazy crazy, several hours calming everybody down, calming the situation down, calming the girls down, trying to comfort the caregiver who was, you know, first time she had that experience was kind of struggling a little bit. So Michelle and I worked together. She kind of took, took care of the caregiver and one of the girls. I took care of the other girl and we were trying to, you know, and I was bouncing around a little bit and Kind of got everything solved. Ended up, fortunately, because we have a couple safe houses, we separated the girls, put them in different houses, and that helped also leave some things. And so the next day, I went over to talk to the new girl to say, hey, you know, she was afraid she was getting kicked out. And uh, and I said, you know, you're not getting kicked out, but this can't happen again. This is not what we're about. This is not how we handle things. Not what we do. And we went over some of the rules again. And then I waited a day, and the next day, I went out and bought flowers for both girls. And I delivered the flowers to them separately. And both of them were like, what are you doing? And I said, we just want you to know that we didn't like that you handled things the way you did, but it it was a moment. And what we really want you to know is that we love you. And we care about you. We're not getting rid of you. And we want to make a difference in your life. And you know, from that day to this, (laughs) we have seen amazing growth in both of those girls. Because for the first time in their lives, they knew they were genuinely loved. It wasn't based on what they did or didn't do based on who they were that's what being poor in spirit truly humble will lead you and I to in our lives not only for ourselves but for those around us and those we deal with because we will see their genuine value and be able to bring the true love of Christ into their lives and make a difference Again, I want to thank you for letting me be here. I know I probably took a little longer than I should. Um, if you have any questions or want to pick up anything, I do have a table upstairs, so feel free to come, come see me, and, or my wife will be there. Um, but let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this day and this opportunity. I thank you for C3 Church and the work that they're doing here in this area I know that at times it's 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 not easy work it's not easy to make shifts and changes and it's easy to just kind of go along with what what do people want what do they want instead of really looking and saying how can we truly minister to the needs of people and especially the spiritual needs and how can we help people to grow and understand who God is and make a difference in their lives so I thank you for this body that's so committed to wanting to know your word, wanting to share truth, wanting to make a difference. I thank you for Pastor Jean and Heather and their commitment and faithfulness to this ministry, and for all those that are involved and, and uh, care about it and are actively involved. Lord, we pray that that you would bring um, you would bring transformation to the lives of people that are touched by this this church, this ministry both that are already here and those that are yet to discover it and experience it. And we thank you that you give us the privilege to be your hands and your feet in the world and help us to have truly humble spirits, real, um, true humility that sees the real value in ourselves as you've created us to be and in others. And that we would always do it with thanksgiving and gratefulness for what you have already done for us, far beyond what we deserve. We seek to give you thanks and praise in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.